We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. BG, what is happening? The pig is staying in the Queen City. <laughs> is staying in the Queen City. Uh, we'll get into that in a second. But welcome to the first episode of Real uh, Regular Season Basketball for the Charlotte Hornets on Buzz Beat uh, during the 23-24 season. The Hornets are one and a 116-110 win over the Atlanta Hawks. A lot to unpack here. Very entertaining game. Some positives, some negatives. But again, most importantly, BG, and, and you kind of take us from here. The pig staying in the Queen City. And I, Eric Collins uh, w- informed me of some <laughs> rivalry tradition I, I didn't know existed. I didn't, I didn't know that was possible in the NBA for me. But yeah. Yeah, I have no idea when that trophy was <laughs> manufactured. But I got to say, I love it. And, uh, you know, Spencer, you're, you're a Charlatan. Like, I assume... At some point tomorrow, or or perhaps later this week, you know the the pig will be, will be passed around throughout the city like the Stanley Cup, you know, and uh, right. everyone right. in in the seven hundred four area code will get to spend you know a day doing whatever they want with the pig. I just assume it's sort of one of those things. Um, you know, I, I live in Raleigh, not Charlotte, so I don't think I'm going to make the the the, uh, the trip down there. But I, I hope you and your family. In uh, Richie and his family, who he's in the background producing tonight. Uh, I hope you guys really just have a great time with the uh, the pig trophy. Um, yeah, the, the barbecue rivalry or whatever they were calling it. Uh, but yeah, big win for the Hornets tonight. And again, um, you know who knew they didn't even need to win the East in season tournament to claim a little uh, a little <laughs> in season hardware too. Well, I certainly hope you're right. I certainly hope I get a little time to pick tomorrow and uh, Richie and I will convene about our plans for the parade. But no, a a really, really good win for the Hornets tonight. Uh, Again, a game that felt depressing at times, felt exhilarating at times. My goodness, there were some young players for the Hornets that really stepped up tonight. I don't know, BG, I I figured that's where we would start here. Um, Let's just start with Mark Williams. I I, I just felt like he he was kind of the headline for the Hornets tonight, 30 minutes tonight, 13 points, 15 rebounds, three steals, one assist, one block, plus 19. That's a team high for the Hornets. You know, I really thought he only takes six 
field goal attempts, which isn't like super surprising, but the impact that he made on this game from just like a pure winning standpoint, I thought was very, very impressive. And I, I expected a big season out of Mark Williams, but I will say just go, judging off the eye test tonight, he looked borderline dominant in that game. Like he changed it the way Atlanta ran their offense. I think he flipped how Charlotte could run their offense with his just presence that he was able to consistently put on the rim, regardless of the offensive scheme at times. But I couldn't be more impressed. I think that we may be ahead of schedule here. Am I getting, am, am I getting over my skis? No, because you and I have talked about this, Spencer, and certainly we've talked about it with Richie and Lee on the pod as well. Like, Mark played so well down the stretch for Charlotte that, like, what he's doing now shouldn't really be that surprising. Um, but he is just such a power at the rim. He's such a force at the rim on, on both sides. Like, we can start with the offense if you want. Um, he is this team's best source of rim pressure right now. Like, they don't really quite have it in, like, the guard or, or, or wing room um, in terms of just, like, a guy that's going to, you know, run 50 pick and rolls and get to the rim on half those possessions or whatever. Like Williams is the guy they, they really need to like get downhill, drag extra defenders in. Um, and he made some plays on, on the short roll tonight had like a, what an, kind of a got fouled on one in the first half and then had another one where he uh, on the short roll, I think he hit Brandon Miller uh, for a cut layup coming out of, out of the corner. He was three putback finishes tonight um, four or five shooting at the rim. And then, yeah, the one shot he had from outside of the, the restricted area was that sort of like short roll runner that he made in the first half. So he was awesome. And we've talked about this with like for Williams, he like seeing it. Charlotte hasn't had like an above the rim, like really physical, physical center since probably like Dwight Howard in 2017, 2018. But like, these guys could just not be more different in terms of like their willingness to screen and dive. You know what I mean? And like Williams is happy to just constantly be humming screening um, and then trying to mash guys on the offensive glass. You don't need to feed him. I mean, did he have one post up touch tonight? You know, like that's something they will throw in from time to time, but you just don't need to get, give this guy a handful of like token post up touches to get him humming. Like he's looking to like close down the paint and screen and dive and be a pressure point on the on the rim on offense right from the tip. And then um, – but before we switch to defense, just, yeah, any thoughts on Williams offensively uh, tonight, Spencer, additionally? I mean, you're right. I don't really think he had a true post-up uh, in the sense that we think about it traditionally. But, you know, those just w- – when Atlanta would get mismatched, you know, he would he would pin somebody mm-hmm. up, up the line, right? And, and you throw that little lob, and Richards does that a lot too. Yep. You know, so I kind of yep. think that's the way Charlotte's bigs really get rim pressure outside of a lob running to the rim off a of pick and roll. But, I mean, offensively, I would just say my biggest takeaway with Mark Williams, especially offensively, but I also think this relates defensively, the game doesn't seem too fast for him. Mm-hmm. And that really that, – that seems rare to me for a big – uh, who, especially a big, and I know you're asking me an offensive question, but especially <laughs> a big that has to kind of be the defensive anchor, and he was tonight. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just he's able to process, react, and be impactful on an NBA level already. 
And that's, uh, I, I don't know. I, I find that most impressive about Mark the, Williams. And that, and that I mean, I, again, that relates offensively too. Yeah. Again, Charlotte wins 116, 110 tonight. And, and Williams was awesome. Uh, mostly, no surprise, mostly playing pick and roll drop coverage tonight. And I thought Charlotte did a nice job sort of pushing DeJounte Murray and Trey Young, who both had, um, you know, really tough shooting nights tonight. Uh, thought they did a nice job forcing those guys to settle for pull up, you know, off dribble jumpers, which those guys can do, but they're not like th- that's not what they do best, you know. Um, Trey Young, 23 points tonight, but on 26 true shot attempts. DeJounte Murray, 11 points tonight, but on 17 true shot attempts. Uh, Murray was one of four at the rim, Trey Young, 0 of two at the rim. Um, and I thought Williams early in the first half did a really, really nice job just like closing down the paint and just being a, a not just like a deterrent, but just a guy that was totally closed off the rim to Atlanta in the first half with his activity, his length, his ground coverage. Like he's he's special, right? In terms of like what he can do with that. And there was maybe only one time sort of like charting this game and taking notes while it was going on live where I thought he like got off of his feet early on a pump fake. Um, it was sort of a tough play. Like it was pick and roll drop coverage in the second half and either Mur- maybe Bogdanovich, but it was one of Bogdanovich Murray or Trey uh, ended up hitting like a Congo or Capello for a little like drop off right at the front of the rim after Williams got in the air. But like that was maybe the one time he took like a little bit of bait and it really wasn't even that bad. Like, this guy, in, I mean, I, I think he makes. I think he's a really nice fit for Steve Clifford schematically, and in terms of just like getting in with a defensive-minded coach that definitely sees the defense being built from the center out. And so, just I don't know. It's a good. It's a good landing spot for Williams. And I just think like if he continues to play like that, refined in terms of like his positioning with drop coverage, his discipline, not going for pump fakes and trying to block literally everything and being fine with like deterring shots, go using verticality, using stuff like that to frustrate and discourage uh, an opposing offense. Like he can be, he can have a massive impact and like the blocks will just come by virtue of him being enormous and like always at the rim. And like tonight, look, man, um, the Hawks are good offensive team. They've got two all-star guards. They've got a great head coach in, in Quinn Snyder. And Spencer, you said at the top, like they had to, they had, they like, they were trying to look for other stuff offensively just because like pick and roll, get downhill, get to, get to the rim just like wasn't working. You could see yeah. Trey settling. You could see him immediately. I mean, he was in mid season form tonight, just trying to like grift fouls. Um, and he, he certainly got a few of them. But, like, outside of Jalen Johnson, his slashing, like, I mean, game. Atlanta, he was great tonight. Looks like the Hawks have a, have another, like, nice young player on the on the horizon here. But other than that, like, Mark was just awesome tonight, closing down the paint. And, um, that you know, that takes nothing away from his offense, which was, like, equally impactful. And just, he's a really, really nice, young, uh, like, true center Uh, prospect that the Hornets have and he's only going to get better we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, you know, it, the only thing I would add, I mean, all well said, you know, his discipline on defense was very, very impressive, I thought, uh, which you were touching on. You know, the more Mark Williams is able to process quickly, like, who's on my weak side? Is it Terry Rozier? Okay, I got to be – I got to really stay on my feet. I got to use my length. Like, I can't take chances because that lob gets over my head. There, there's no there's no real help side mm-hmm. on the back, right? Is Brandon Miller – on my week said, okay, now I can get a little bit more, you know, feisty with, with blocking shots and taking more chances. So that, that the quarterback of the defense from that perspective, if, if he starts to process that thing, like where is my personnel on the floor? Um, it's going to make him even more impactful and even more strategic in where he can take chances and blocking shots. But I mean, that's all nitpicking at this point. I could yeah. not be more impressed. And it really <laughs> looks like the Hornets nailed a lottery pick like they haven't um, in a while. I mean, you know, LaMelo obviously picking him three, but like in terms of picking in that eight to 14 range, right? Like Mark Williams seems like a steal. So anything else yeah. before we transition? We'll just say it's, it's exciting to know that like there are like other levels for him to get to defensively. Like he's sort of just scratching the surface in terms of like, you know, uh, game flow processing. And then – I really we can I we should talk about the you know PJ Washington at some point because he was really good tonight. Totally. But just like the fit with PJ and Mark Williams is really really nice, and we can get into that. But also there were times tonight when Williams was playing with JT Thor, and all of a sudden Charlotte has so much like size and length in the at the rim defensively, and Thor is like a very active like as that weak side guy that you were just talking about. 
Thor Thor can really like in and he's able he'll like he's willing to crash down and then close back out. I think he created he can get over and make a difference quickly. Yeah, he and I think he drew he caused a turnover uh Sadiq Bay like a travel in the fourth quarter because like he compressed in and then closed back out. Bay didn't have the shot, tried to go off the dribble, which he's not, you know, he's not great at and, and ended up traveling with the ball. So uh, you know, we're, we we may not get a lot of time to talk about Thor tonight, but I thought like he and Williams together, just a lot of length defensively. And those guys like like to be active at the rim. That's a carryover from late last season to the start of this year. Yeah, yep. No, I I totally agree. You know, Thor leaves a lot to uh, be desired offensively. You know, we, it, <laughs> it would be nice if he could hit one corner three a game, but you know, he 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 really. You're right. Like he does add that thing that you just can't really see with your eye necessarily unless you rewind the tape and you're not going to see on paper in terms of just giving the Hornets defense, especially their weak side defense, uh, gap defense, a little bit more zest. All right, well, let's let's go to – where should we go here? Yeah, let's go to P.J. You brought P.J. up. I mean, mm-hmm. look, I – you know, he had one of these games in the preseason where you're just like, whoa. You know, it's one of those quick glimpses where he was about <laughs> – he was 12 of 18 from the field tonight. I want to say in the preseason he was he had like a 13-20 game. He had more than 25 points in that game. But his middle of – like him attacking from, you know, two steps from the foul line all the way to the rim right now is way, way, way different than we've seen from this guy in the past. And I thought that – you know, Atlanta had a they, – they went to the zone at least one or two possessions late in the game. It might have been more than that. But I can remember a specific possession, and I think LaMelo got him the ball into the middle of the floor where Trey – On Trey. <laughs> yeah, and just bulldozed him and, and punched it. But, but P.J.'s decisiveness in the middle of the floor right now attacking the rim is uh, it's just a different dude to me. And mm. that's really, really encouraging. Uh, I mean, the one of six from three-pointer, like whatever – you know, we know PJ's probably going to shoot 34, 35 yeah. percent. He's a good shooter. Games. Yeah, he's a good. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's a good three. He's a good volume three point shooter. Like he's going to be fine from out there. Right, but I, it's just like you watch. You watch his decisiveness when with the ball, even if it's he, he doesn't have a mismatch. Even if it's his, even if it's DeAndre Hunter on him, like he's going through people's chest right now and getting to the rim, and uh, didn't get to the free throw line tonight. But I think that's a little misleading. I, th- I thought <laughs> thought he probably did get fouled a few times and as as aggressive as he was from the middle of the floor tonight with the ball um it, it's just huge for this team bg because this team does not have enough ball handlers to touch the paint mm-hmm. and, and get to the rim and if pj can be this aggressive it's gonna get this offense to what 15 to 20th you know <laughs> if they max out everything i mean but seriously you know what i mean like yeah. no, I'm, he, he kind of right has to be you. that guy yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, he is one of the things we've talked about with PJ a lot over the years is not just the, you know, the defensive flashes. Uh, it's not just like the the pick and pop uh, three point shooting, his ability to, you know, um, play a small ball five, which he did often his first three years in the league and really doesn't do much under Steve Clifford now, um, but has been his ability to, to connect. And that comes in a lot of different ways. Like sometimes that's a short roll pass kicking out to a shooter after an opposing defense puts two on the ball. Sometimes that's a short roll lob um, where he catches the ball in in a pocket of space and has to make a quick decision, whether it's a, a lob pass to the center in the dunker spot, it's a runner 
or it's a you know it's a kick out for a, an open three. And PJ has just gotten so good at like that short roll decision making. And I think he's one of the best in the league at doing it when someone's already in the dunker spot. Like the lane is congested often when he catches the ball in the short roll because usually it's Mark Williams. In years past, it's been, you know, last year it was Mason Plumley. Sometimes it's Richards. And like he's usually never seeing like a clean lane. Because, again, there's usually a seven-footer there waiting for him. And he's so good at, like, the lob, the quick lob pass. The, the you know, he'll jump in the air. He'll get the center to leave. And then he'll, like, sort of, like, lay a, like, a, like kind of like a wraparound sort of, like, drop-off pass to the, the center in the dunker spot. And that playmaking, that, like, connective playmaking extends to when he catches the ball, like, on a pick-and-pop or a second side touch against a scrambled or bent defense. Like as you were just highlighting Spencer, like he's willing to catch it and go like he will get into the paint and look to get downhill and force the deep for exactly force the defense to make one more rotation, one more decision. And like, if they don't, then he's just going to hit the the runner at an incredibly high rate. And not only like, has he gotten, we like we've highlighted, we've highlighted this plenty over the, you know, the last season plus, like how good he's gotten with that runner. He's so good. He's got like the like the running back little stiff arm move that he uses often to like when he does have a defender on his hip or in front of him. He's so good at sort of like gathering the ball with his right hand, taking his left arm or his left shoulder and using that to either a subtle push or like uh you know he'll dip his shoulder to create a little bit of separation and he ends up getting these like really clean looks in the middle of the lane. And he's wide open because he's able to create separation um, in these tough spots where it, it shouldn't be like easy to do so. And then by that point, he's that's his best shot. You know that little that little like runner push shot that he's gotten so good. The shooting touch. Um, so just very very impressed with PJ. Eleven of twelve shooting on twos tonight. It's insane. Um, and, and I mean, he was five of six at the rim. Four, f- five of five, perfect uh, from four to 14 feet uh, and one of one from 14 to three point range. So he was six of six in the mid range tonight and five of six at the rim. Not worried at all about the three point shooting. Like we know he's a, a big time volume, high 30%, you know, shooter that can do it off of relocation and pick and pops. And those pick and pops, when they get into double drag action, or they get into any kind of like double high screen roll possession where it's Gordon Hayward, Lamella Ball, Terry Rozier, Tail Maldon, whomever it is. And, you know, Mark sets the first pick and dives, and PJ either sets the second pick and he pops out or he slips. That's such a great action for them. And it's so simple. But just like Mark is going to draw a crowd diving to the rim, PJ can pop into space, and all of a sudden, like, you've got a little bit of advantage. You can throw it to PJ and allow him to build that advantage either with a pick-and-pop three. He can drive the closeout, get to the runner, or maybe throw a lob to, to Mark. Yeah. Um, so just that's just simple stuff, but those guys fit really, really well. It's a very clean, nice combination uh, for Charlotte at the 4-5 spot. To uh, piggyback off what you said, too, um, 12 of 17, the Hornets were from that short mid-range area, according to cleaning the glass. Tonight, that's four feet to 14 feet. I think you said PJ was 
five of five or five of six. He went five of five. <laughs> five of five. So yeah. And I think Rosier I thought was was really good in that range tonight. But that that's just refreshing uh for Charlotte's offense. Like I Atlanta was really getting out in the passing lanes and on the ball, and it seems like that's the way they want to play this year. It might have been mm-hmm. a little schematic to their opponent tonight, but for Charlotte to get that deep towards the rim and be that efficient close to the rim. Really, really encouraging. Let's get to a, a listener question here real quick. This is uh, Matt Strand. His question is, how long has it been since the center position was actually viewed as a strength and not a weakness? I could be wrong here, BG, because I saw this question. I gave it a little thought while you were talking, but has it been out Jefferson? Am I missing someone? <laughs> like, unless it was like, like Al Jefferson or... wasn't a defensive, like, you know, stalwart, but like, it, I wouldn't call that position a, a weakness then. I like, mean, maybe I Zeller. Like, there were times when yeah, Zeller okay. was like, I yeah, mean, but like, it's, it's different, right? Because like, Zeller's thing was that he was just like a really, in, you know, high energy, industrious, like pick and roll guy for Kemba. He was really good at just perfect partner. Yeah. 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 I mean, th- those guys were really good together make all the jokes you want, but he was like a, you know, a screen assist guy, um, you know, in the early days of like NBA.com tracking that metric. But like, you know, Zeller wasn't everyone's like cup of tea. I I think we on this pod were pretty fond of him, but like, I feel like that was the the 16, 17 season, which was Kemba's first all-star year. They were like back end of Eastern conference playoff contention until the middle of the season when Zeller went down, and then all of a sudden it was uh, Roy Hibbert and Frank Kaminsky having to play the five and things like fell apart pretty uh, quickly. But yeah. that roster was flawed in more ways than just like the center room uh, and the depth behind uh, Cody Zeller. But yeah, it's, it's been a really, it's been a long time um, that they've had a guy like Williams with his upside and, um, you know, quality backup too, uh, like Richards. All right, let's, uh, Let's stay on the youngsters because that seems to be, you know, the good trend. A lot of good things to say here. Brandon Miller tonight, you know, it felt like it was it was quiet, slow out of the gates, uh, not surprising. And in the second half, boy, he, did he hit some big shots. You text me or text the, the Buzzbeat group tonight. I mean, after that second big three he hit, I thought the most impressive one he hit all night was the step back at the end yeah. of the shot clock. Nasty. Uh, just, just smooth, very natural, like – you know, just, just like he was playing any other basketball game, uh, which is like, okay, yep, that's it. Six, seven wing who can do that kind of stuff supernaturally uh, in a, in a tense spot. That's, you know, that, that's the real skill set. We're tapping into it there, but you know, BG, I thought he had some opportunities on the ball tonight in pick and roll situations as kind of the secondary ball handler, especially when he wasn't chairing the floor with Lamelo, and he was out there with Rozier, which I don't have those numbers in front of me, but I do feel like he played with Rozier quite a bit tonight is the true two. Um, I was impressed. You know, you could tell he was nervous early in the game, but he really settled in nicely. 13 points, three rebounds, two assists, five of nine from, uh, from the field, three of seven from behind the arc. Uh, really couldn't ask for a better opening night performance from the rookie. I was very impressed. Yeah, I mean, he – everything for him was at the rim or uh, in terms of his usage was – was yeah, it was at the rim or a three. He had two nice, uh, like, 
you know, stashed in the right corner, cutting dunks. Another one when uh, Lamelo's, you know, Okongwu was at the level guarding pick and roll for Atlanta. Lamelo split it. Probably one of his best drives he had all night. He split it, got downhill. Atlanta's defense collapsed just enough, and, and Miller made a nice read to a nice aggressive read to not just like stay spotted up in the corner, but to to crash in and, and catch a lob. And he got two, lo- the two rim finishes he had tonight were both off of those corner cuts, but yeah, the, the relocation three that he hit, the second one was huge. And what was that? Like Rozier pick and roll. And then Miller sort of like yep. shaked up a little shake action coming from like the left wing to the top of the key. Um, Atlanta Just botched. Yeah, yep, exactly. Atlanta botched the rotation. Um, I'm not sure there's a good chance it was Trey Young. <laughs> like who knows, but it, <laughs> I mean, Miller was wide open, uh, but he stepped right into it and and, um, and he trained it. And he had the step back little like, you know, shot fake, uh, one dribble, sidestep deeper into the corner. I mean, that's a really tough shot. That's a really, really tough shot. Um, and I just thought Miller, like he played well in preseason. I thought it carried over tonight in his first regular season game as a, as a pro there's a lot, there's more ways they can use him. I mean, they really had him in like a cutter secondary catch and shoot role. Um, we saw some in the preseason, them getting him like a little bit more involved, getting him in dribble, like, you know, scripted dribble handoff actions uh, to try to get him, you know, catch and shoots or into the second side pick and roll actions. So we could see more of that. They used him as like a ghost screener. I think that was when he got some of his like above the break three point attempts off the catch, you know, him slipping, you know, guard guard pick and rolls with Lamelo or Rozier like that action's going to be there you know all season um you know all year for him that's good stuff the only, my thought would be like as far as his pick and roll activity tonight I'd love and I understand why he was sort of like playing the game he did but I'd love to see him force the issue a little bit more at times this year there were there were probably a I don't know, probably like two or three pick and roll possessions. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm nitpicking here, obviously, but like where he dribbled off the screen, took one or two dribbles and then was just like looking to make the first pass, you know, um, as opposed to like sort of exploring the space a little bit more, but hopefully that, hopefully that will come. Like that's part of the, that's, that should be part of the package for him is to, to see what he can do with that, how much he can grow in terms of that. And I did like to, in the second half, um, Steve Clifford, like after a timeout, ran like a little uh, kind of like quick hitter pistol action between Lamelo and Miller. That then had Miller go into pick and roll with um, Nick Richards, and Miller was just like a half second too late on throwing the pass to Richards. Like it should have been a dunk, and like it just again, I'd love to something to monitor because it's not you know. Some games are probably better than others. Like it'll be up and down this year, but just like seeing the processing like quicken and improve and just like smooth out a little bit. And at times too, just like watching him take chances a little bit more in the pick and roll is something that I, I would like to uh, to monitor with him as far as like that type of activity goes. Yeah, and I think he's going to get a lot of chances this year because the Hornets are just starved for ball handling, right? Yeah, and. Yep. Uh, so, Richie, thank you. I did have this in my notes. He, he just makes a, um, a, a list for us here. 34 assists for the Hornets tonight. That's 34 assists on 43 made field goals. <laughs> That's uh, very, very good. Very, yeah. <laughs> very good indeed. Um, yeah, I mean, 
you know, I just thought the ball moved a lot. Uh, and I, I'll use this as a transition into in, kind of our next um, our next topic here, BG. You know, LaBello leads the team with 10 assists. He only had three turnovers. He made some awesome passes and finds there, and especially in the second half when they were needed. Uh, and really in the first half, too. I mean, w- when he didn't have it going offensively, felt like there was a lot of over-dribbling, you know, shots not falling. But, yes, this team understands that they don't have a lot of – people that can they don't have a lot of ball handlers that can put the ball on the floor and touch the paint quickly and so the ball has to get side to side often uh like very very often and so i was impressed i mean 34 assists on 43 field many field goals is it's like that's that's as good as you're going to find in the league so um all right bg lamello i <laughs> was surprised to see that game tonight uh, I'm, I'm trying to be nice here uh I, I think my the what I'm most disappointed about with Lamelo is like I feel like I'm watching the same guy I've watched for um, certainly the same guy I saw last season, but I am starting to I'm I'm workshopping this idea. It's one game, so I don't want to get over over my head here, but I am starting to worry he's not a lead ball handler. Like like he would be better like maybe. Is a guy whose first name starts with an S and his last name starts with an H. Like, <laughs> like I am starting to worry that because all, you know all his all his offensive production tonight came off of catch and shoot threes, literally hundred percent of it. Yep. And and he is pretty proficient there, but him as a off the dribble shooter, and him as a just. It's not heliocentric, but you understand what I'm saying. Him is like yeah. your offensive engine. I'm just starting to wonder, like, is that is that really his role in the NBA? Because I'm not sure it is. I mean, how much do we talk about this leading into the draft? I know it's game, it's, it's you game know, one. It's like, like, yeah, I, I mean, I'm going to anybody out here, but. It's like, it's like you know, Miller played great tonight, and I mean, I think everyone on this pod likes him as a as a prospect. But it was like the pitch for. Scoot in Charlotte was that like it would move LaMelo to more off the ball and like that wouldn't be a bad thing because he's a 41% career catch and shoot three-point shooter with range and some of his best passing and best playmaking comes Comes in second action yeah Yeah. exactly scrambles second action like defense is bent like yeah I mean the people the people who were like didn't think Scoot and LaMelo made sense together were like either dead right in terms of like, oh, this down the line, this is going to be a problem like in terms of personalities or there's only one ball or whatever. I, to be honest, like I see that be, not being an issue with LaMelo because like what he does best is is pass the ball. But um, like unless you were just – unless you would have been absolutely correct that just like um, – uh, non-basketball reasons were going to cause it to like not work out because you know there's got to be uh if you think there's got to be like some sort of like organizational you know pecking order and there's a hierarchy and that's going to cause friction like and who knows like we'll, we'll never know but like in terms of just like how those two guys would have fit if you didn't understand how that could have worked like you were 
overthinking it way too much, you know, yeah. like way too much in part because like Scoot is also good without the basketball too. Like he does a lot of good stuff and there's so many ways you could have like sync those guys together when they're on the court. And obviously you could have staggered them and it, you know, would have, that would have allowed you to do all other kinds of stuff with your, with your lineups and stuff. But um, yeah, like that's, that's the thing that like, ultimately I still believe that this is going to be the case for Charlotte, like one way or the other, unless like Miller absolutely hits like the 99th percentile in terms of like his outcomes. Um, they're going to have to get another ball handler at some point in time. Yeah. Like they're just going to have to, like if they're going to build a 50 win team with Lamelo as like one of the like two or three best guys, as much as like Williams is nice to be like a screen dive guy that can like put like heat up the rim a little bit because of his, you know, role is like dive gravity. Like ultimately you need a guy that can like get you buckets in the mid range and get to the rim, which is like literally the things that Scoot Henderson does best. Yeah, like that was yeah, the whole thing. Yeah. Like they literally that's, had the opportunity the to, point. you know, like they could have just pushed the button and done it. And like, I, I don't know, like we're gonna have plenty of time to like, you know, we've already spent, you know, probably too much time on an opening night pod, like relitigating that. And there will be plenty of time this season and going forward. And Miller looked great tonight. So like, I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't want to like, I don't want to like get into it too much, but like, if we're if, like in the context of like LaMelo, it's like, yes, at some point in time, they're going to need to get another ball handler in here. And like their best chance to get one with star potential was the draft this summer. And yeah. when they had the number two pick in a draft that featured Scoot Henderson as the second best overall prospect. Um, but that's well, not the move they made, you know. In the concept, in the context of tonight and this season, I just wonder what kind of adjustments, if any, Clifford, this team will make to give some of the offensive uh, utilization duties to Gordon Hayward or Brandon Miller, or Terry Rozier earlier in the game, earlier in shot clocks, because the Hornets can't afford, and they won't be every single night. They're not going to be stuck. Their offense is not going to be stuck in mud every single night with Lamelo being, you know, the lead ball handler setting up the offense when they can't play in transition. But tonight was, it was hard to watch. It was, the first half was hard to watch offensively. And you could tell Lamelo was not confident. You could tell he was settling. He was taking those really weird, random, terrible shots, um, not getting – I mean, he couldn't go past Trey Young. He couldn't go through Trey Young. And, you know, it's just that kind of stuff. It's like, okay, we we have what we have on the roster. But if we're just going <laughs> to let LaMelo cook in the half court with the starting unit just because that's those are the guys we have out there, like – this team's not obviously not built to dig out of the hole like they did tonight, but yeah, boy, yeah. he's he, he's yeah. So the personnel is not perfect for Lamella. That that just is what it is. But yeah. you know, we and we talked about this preseason. How how does Gordon Hayward act as the quarterback from the top of the floor more often? How does because I really thought Rozier he wasn't perfect tonight. No, but it, it, this offense got to a point where Rozier's like, I got to get downhill. You got to get downhill. <laughs> yeah. And he turned it yeah. over some, but he yeah. also changed the flow of the offense. And he yeah. also made Atlanta react uh, to the ball hitting the floor and getting to the paint, you know, which is, which is very needed. So I don't know. I just, it, it's, it's going to be a hard coaching adjustment for Clifford. And, and LaMelo just, he got off to a bad start. It's game one. 
we're not going to make too much of one game. But I was surprised. I was surprised yeah. that, that that's the performance we got tonight. Yeah, I mean, like the I think like the heliocentric possibilities with like Lamelo, like even if that stuff was at any point in time, sort of like realistic. Like I think by this point, it's pretty much like it's sailed. Um, yeah, right. The only two things that could like change that would be some sort of like athletic growth that we haven't like he just you know gains twenty five pounds of muscle and all of a sudden like. He can if you put Trey Young on him, he's just going to back him down. You know, like Luca is not like a an elite like bursty athlete, but Luca is huge and strong, and like yeah. he can just bulldoze Match people. Buster. Gets to his yeah, he just totally just he just he by himself takes your scheme and he destroys it because like yeah. him running a pick and roll unless you just blitz him um, and get the ball out of his hands is he's just he can get to his spots every time and obviously if you blitz him and get the ball out of his hands he's creating an advantage anyways and like i think the one other thing would be and this is like you know actually i've i've said this on here before we've talked about it like and i actually think spencer it was when i i filled in for you um with uh the like nate duncan season preview last year with with dunked on and the one thing we Nate and I talked about was like if somehow LaMelo became a like high 30% shooter on pull-ups, you know, like that's the one other thing he because like for his career, he's been like low 30s, pretty like middling efficiency on like, you know, decent but not like insane volume. Like if he could actually like all of a sudden like geek out defenses and sort of like force them to not be able to like dip under screens as much like that, that type of stuff. And now like, he doesn't need a quick burst. Now he's, yeah, now exactly. He's like, yeah. yeah, exactly. He could just turn the corner more. And, like, obviously he's so crafty. You could flip the screen and get into a handoff. Right. Like, there's just so many ways you could use that to counter it. But, like, what we're describing is him making, like, he's a very good shooter, you know, um, but would be, like, him making a, like, pretty substantial leap as, like, a pull-up shooter. It's very hard to go from, like, low 30s on, like, decent but not great volume to, like, yeah, you know, uh, and I'm not saying like Steph Curry, Damian Lillard type stuff either. You know, those guys are like basically outliers, but um, a level or two above where he is now. And all of a sudden, maybe you can shift coverages a little bit, but short of like something that we just haven't seen yet. It's hard to imagine him just like immediately making like um, like a growth in terms of like half court offensive engine. Unless Charlotte was to all of a sudden like put better talent around him, and then that 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 would change the that would change the math too, right? Sure, remains to be seen. You know, I a, a few more thoughts here. Number one, I would like to be spared of any kind of Lamelo Ball, uh, Theo Maldon uh, <laughs> lineups for the future. I know that's not much of an option with the. Uh, you know, with the state of the roster right now in the, in the Frankie smokes injury. But, you know, I will say, I, I do think Ish Smith, uh, certainly not ideal defensively, but just <laughs> his ability to at least put the ball <laughs> on the floor and, and push the tempo and let LaMelo, like, just let him be more of a trailer. Like I was mm-hmm. like, if I were Clifford, I would at least like try that for five to six to seven minutes a game and just see how it goes. Like, I, I'm not sure it wouldn't be more productive than, a Maldone, uh, Lamelo backcourt, but uh, and then the other thing is BG. I got really excited 
for 45 seconds late in the first half. <laughs> NSJ, Nick Smith Jr. <laughs> checked in. And I was like, oh, boy, uh, we're already going deep into the bullpen. And this is game one of the first half. Uh, but I got really excited, and then that experiment ended quickly. So that court is going to be the weakness of this team this year. There is zero question and doubt about that. It's a it is a bummer that I mean I like every injury you could say in the backcourt room is like a pretty significant bummer because like all of those guys if one of them were healthy they would be mm-hmm. they would be like yeah. getting like at least like rotation minutes at the moment I mean say what you will about book night but you know I think what Bryce McGowan's was doing late in the season um, you know, he can cut he can catch and go. Um, you know, he can, he can run a second side pick and roll and just like, I mean, who knows when we'll see Cody Martin, um, yeah. you know, I mean, they could, Cody Martin is, would really, really, really help this, yeah. this equation. Yep. And like, I mean, I thought the Frank Nielakino offensive experiment in the preseason was not, uh, <laughs> like a little perplexing, but obviously like he's a very good point of attack defender. Like he could do some, he could really help you out. It there and they certainly played Lamelo and Neil Akina together in the preseason. I think with the hopes of sort of like, well, we got another ball handler out here, and that could allow us to sort of like, yeah, like space Lamelo at times and get him into some of these like catch and go or catch and shoot situations too. But yeah, like it just it's tough that all of those injuries are piled up, you know, really at the sort of like, yeah, you know, backup point guard or like you know shooting guard roles right now. Um, cause yeah. any of those dudes would be able to help out and it does stink for guys like book Knight and McGowan's that are like young rookie contracts trying to make a spot in the league. Like there's an opportunity there. They're just like not healthy enough to actually like try to seize on it. So you're right. I think Ish Smith will, I think he'll, I think he can't help, um, it's, you know, laugh all you want, but like, he's really fast. <laughs> he's really fast with the basketball in his hands, man. It's ridiculous, yes. And yeah. we, we, if you've been a Hornets fan for extended time, you remember. I mean, he made the difference here in Charlotte just a few years ago. BG, anything else from – I think that pretty much wraps up what I had for this game. Anything mm-hmm. else on this game? And I just kind of wanted to take a quick glance at the upcoming schedule for Charlotte because uh, I think there's an opportunity for them to get out to a pretty good start. Just the the, the last thing, and, and I know we've got a, a plug for this guy – um, that, that we need to get to towards the, the right before you and I wrap up and, uh, and Richie sort of like takes over. But I thought Gordon Hayward, like, you know, nothing spectacular, but just in the first half when he got subbed out and things were going sideways with the offense, all of my notes are like, where's PJ? Like, can we get Gordon back in the game? <laughs> like, when's Steve going to put him back in the game? Like, I think everyone on this podcast is always the, the like the running theory has been like, when this guy is healthy, He's good. He stabilizes the offense. And, like, I mean, that's going to be true again this year. They they need it. If they're going to try to get a playoff spot, um, they need this guy to play a lot of games for them um, because he's he's just a really important piece for them in terms of half-court offense output. Could not agree more. And thought he looked good tonight. I mean, thought mm-hmm. he looked athletic. He definitely looks healthy. Um, so, yeah, yeah, nothing to add there. Couldn't agree more. Let's just get a quick glance on the Hornets next few weeks. You know, when I first looked at this schedule, when it came out, I thought, huh, you know, if Charlotte, you know, in these first three home games, they open with uh, back to back to back home games, they can get out two and one or even three and oh, they really have an opportunity to get ahead of the 
ahead of the game. Their next one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games <clears throat> host Detroit Friday night at home against Brooklyn, at Houston, at Indiana, at Dallas, home versus Washington, go to Washington. I would say that they're going to be favored in, of those seven games, at least four. Yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe not at Houston, but it, but anyways, let's say three and a half just to split the atom. Like there is a chance if Charlotte can can build momentum here earlier, they can get out to a good start on this season before the schedule starts to beef up. And I look, <clears throat> you know, <laughs> do we need another lottery pick and another um, uh, prospect on this <laughs> roster that can make a difference? Of course we do. You know, this is still a young roster, but for the sake of let's all be Hornets fans earlier in the season, <laughs> I don't think it's inconceivable that this team can get out to a five, you know, six and two, five and three start. Yeah. And if, yeah. if that were to be the case, it, it would at least, uh, it would at least uh, create some intrigue. So I yep. just wanted to at least bring that to the surface. Yeah. I'm at, look, I'm having deja vu uh, with this conversation. <laughs> like this is all over again. Um, <clears throat> Two, just two quick thoughts and two quick thing items on on these games we're mentioning. That second Washington game, that is the Hornets' first like in season tournament game. So just a little bit of mm. a bit of business with that. And I will say the the Brooklyn game, which is next Monday, I believe. Yep. I just think the Nets are going to be an awesome defensive team this year. Like, I love their personnel: Dennis Smith Jr., Nick Claxton, Michael Bridges. Dorian Finney-Smith, Royce O'Neal, like they've just got tons of guys on that side of the court. That feels like a game where like the half-court offense for the Hornets, like um, they just better shoot threes really well in that game. <laughs> I, I, it seems like that's going to turn into a, um, a rock fight. But some, some certainly some teams I'm interested in seeing, Houston, Indiana especially, sort of like stand out on that list that I'll, I'll be looking forward to. Good stuff, BG. Uh, well, look, it was a really fun opening night. I will say this about the Hornets. They rarely disappoint on opening night. I really can't remember an opening night game, especially at home, that didn't come down to the damn wire, uh, <laughs> as this one did too. And, and a fun win, and we will see where it goes from here. I mean, look, we're 1-0. We got a really bad LaMelo game. There, there are things to – there are reasons to be optimistic, uh, especially when you consider this roster still has uh, room to get healthy, uh, and hopefully sooner rather than later. Uh, oh, last thing. I almost forgot this. Richie did had an exclusive interview with Gordon Hayward uh, after a practice I think uh, late last week. So that will be in this episode as well. So make sure that you give that a listen. Uh, some really good intel there. Gordon Hayward, you're 14, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, so crazy, crazy stuff. So, uh, and again, look great tonight. So make sure you give that a listen as well. And Richie, thanks for everything you're doing on the back end and cr- congrats on the new baby, by the way, if you, if you uh, want to drop Richie a note on Twitter and say, congrats for the new one. Uh, please do that. All right, for Spencer, that's BG. Go Hornets. We'll see you next time. Got Gordon Hayward here after practice. Um, in terms of last year, I want to reflect on last year. I know that you're more of like an offensive-minded guy, but based on the eye test, based on some of the defensive metrics, you actually were one of the better defenders on this roster. Is that what, Was that a point of emphasis for you, or did you actually feel that when you were out there that you were making an impact on that end of the court? 
Um, you know, I think it's just trying to help us win basketball games. Um, just do it whenever I can. I, mean, I think you should always be doing your job on defense, no matter what's going on offensively. Uh, and just my role offensively changed throughout the course of the year, uh, just with more or less responsibility. So try to make things happen on defense. Very good. And then this offseason, obviously this was one of the uh, first offseasons in which you didn't have to rehab. Yeah. Right? And so how, how did that change your mentality? How did that affect your body? Just knowing that the focus was strictly basketball. And not, yeah, it yeah. was it was great. It was great for me to be, to be able to train the way I wanted to. Um, to not have to worry about holding back or um, only doing so much. So uh, I felt like it's the first offseason I've done that for probably six years. Um, so I, I'm at a great place right now. Good. And I know there was a conversation last year about Cliff. I don't know if this was like an official conversation about maybe like load management, quote unquote, last year. And I'm not sure if that ever took place. Uh, is that a conversation that you've had this year? Because obviously you're one of the older players on the roster. And then number two, do you, would you ever be amenable to coming off the bench at all to kind of lessen your load? Uh, I think for me, it's um, something that I trust the medical staff. And so that was a conversation that we had last year. And I would trust him again. You know, hopefully we don't have to worry about any of that type of stuff. Uh, as far as coming off the bench, I mean, it's I'm I'm fine to do whatever as long as I'm helping us win basketball games. So right. In terms of Brandon Miller, I, I feel like you, you look at him, you think with three point sheer, but also, what do you notice from him like inside the arc, that mid range game, something that you have as well? Yeah, I think the thing I've been impressed with is his feel for the game when he is inside the arc. His passing ability has really showed out. Um, I think he'll only get better at that, but he'll score. I mean, he's got enough size and he can shoot it that he'll score points in this league. Um, I think the best players in the league, not only do they score, but they make their teammates better, and you can see him eventually learning how to do that. Yeah. And then uh, this is obviously your last year under contract. Is, is that something that crosses your mind at all, or is it just strictly you know focused on basketball, focused on you know trying to make this team win? But you know, obviously, there's some uncertainty at the end of this year. Yeah, it's something that I don't, I don't worry about. Um, just worry about helping us win games. All right, last question. Um, you're a chess player. Yep. If you were to compare yourself to a chess piece. I've could... had this question before, and I have not, I've never been able to give an answer. Well, hopefully it's not a pawn. It's definitely not a pawn, but there's just so many, there's so many good pieces <laughs> on the chessboard. It's hard to pick one that you could. Yeah. I, I, I actually haven't. I don't, I don't have a good answer for that one right now. Okay. What, what's the most powerful piece? Is it the king or the queen? I think technicality-wise, it's the king. Okay. But the queen can do the, because, the most. But the queen can do the most, right. Uh, so who, who's the king on this roster? I don't know. Here That's a good question, yeah. We, we, we need all the pieces to win. So. Well, very good. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. 
Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.